Well, here we go. Depending on where you are, maybe you're going already. Some other places you're about to get going. It's time for another school year. And that means it's time for another great yearbook effort. And we hope you're ready to roll. And we've got some good ideas for you here. So welcome, or maybe welcome back, to the Yearbooking Report podcast. This one's the start of season six already. Wow. My name is Scott Geezy. I have been a Justin's yearbook representative now for whew, 25 years, but I've been a journalist for over 40 years. And I do this work because a yearbook, again, is a work of journalism. It's something we need to get across to every yearbook staff out there. You are storytellers. That's what a journalist is. Journalist is fancy term. The simple term, you're a storyteller. Your job each year, this year, is to tell the stories of your school year. The students, the teachers, the staff, the events inside your building. Yes, outside your building because you don't live at the school 24-7. Things do happen outside. Ultimately, it's the stories of students, as many as we can, in as many different ways as we can. So hopefully you're already started. And at some point, you're going to start designing the pages of your yearbook. Everybody does, of course. The question is how or what or why? You know, the basic questions. And for some reason, I've noticed over a long time, page design might be the most difficult aspect of your booking. Some folks just, uh, not some, most folks really struggle with this. And they end up doing things very randomly. It looks very haphazard, looks kind of sloppy in a lot of cases, doesn't really have a, a rhyme or reason like how to follow it. We got to think about our readers and make it logical for them to follow what we're covering on that particular page or spread. And the question is how to do that. Well, recently we ca uh, caught up with our friend Brenda Field. Now, Brenda is an outstanding former National Yearbook Advisor of the Year from suburban Chicago, Illinois. Brenda really knows her stuff, and she's a lady she really enjoys design. Again, most people don't. It's like a chore. Ugh, gotta do what? Ugh. Brenda enjoys it, and she works hard with her students at high school level to do the best design pages they can possibly do. Pages that are fun to read, informative to read, full of great photos. Her books are award winners, and you can see why. Now, the question is, how can we get other folks to see that? So stay tuned. Grab a pen, grab some paper, take some notes, because we're going to share a lot of great ideas with Brenda on how to immediately improve the design and the look of your yearbook this year. First off, let's meet Brenda. Well, folks, here we go. Another school year. Woohoo! We're all <laughs> excited for a day or two. All right. And then hopefully we keep it going. But it's time for another yearbook year. And our main topic today is normally one that I would wait a little bit because there are other important things to do at the very beginning of a school year. But when I saw this lady was available, I thought, no, we're going to talk about design. We're going to lead right off with it because at some point, of course, hopefully you're doing good designing in your yearbook. So we want to welcome to our program, top-notch yearbook advisor, Brenda Field, is joining us. Now, if you're a Jostin school, you may have seen Brenda. She's made some of our terrific Jostin's J-Class videos on Yearbook Avenue. And Brenda, first off, welcome. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Scott. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I've seen your videos, and they're great because they're very 
how do I put this? They're not complicated. They're simple. And especially with this main topic we're going to talk about today, which is design. Uh, Brenda, I've been at this over 20 years, and I've had so many people, as soon as you mention the word design, it's like their eyes roll in their head. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you've got the same reaction, all right? Oh, they don't want to hear about it. Folks, stay tuned. We're going to share some really simple tips with you. This is not hard to make a top-notch yearbook. It's not hard. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Brenda, first off, let's find out something about you, if you would. Uh, tell us about your background, where you're from, how long have you been at this crazy yearbook stuff, and so on. Sure. Um, so I have been a yearbook advisor going on 28 years now. Um, I have spent most of my time over 20 years at Glenbrook South High School in Glenview, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. And I spent the first five years of my career at Riverside Brookfield High School, which is again, another Chicago area suburb. Um, I My undergraduate degrees are in English and journalism. So when I went into teaching, I knew I wanted to advise something. And it just so happened that yearbook was the first opportunity that I had and I fell in love with it after the first year and I've stuck with it since. But my background then is really in print journalism. So, you know, when I think about advising or when I thought about advising, you know, at the outset, it was really very much about writing, reporting, um, a very limited experience with photojournalism and certainly really no ex experience with page layout. So everything that I have learned as an advisor, I've learned as I've been advising. I've, you know, made a point of like picking the brains of people that knew it a lot better than me. And since then I've become, I guess I would call myself a design nerd. I, I love everything about design. I'm noticing it everywhere. And it's something that I absolutely enjoy. Um, and the process of watching kids create something from nothing is just, it's, it's so evident um, in design. You just see it so easily and quickly. And um, so anyway, yes, that's, that's what I love about it. I found someone who's been at this longer than me. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. And okay, now I, I've forgotten this. Shame on me. I didn't take a note. If I recall, were you not the, I guess, maybe JEA National Advisor of the Year one particular year? What was that? I was um, in 2017. I was the, the HL Hall Yearbook Advisor of the Year. Well, belated congratulations. Extremely Thank you. Belated. Yeah. Um, because not just anybody wins that award. First off, I mean, there's untold thousands of yearbook advisors out there. Um, I'm just curious when they picked you, what was your reaction? That's, that's big. It was overwhelming. <laughs> um, it was really amazing at the time they sent the previous year's winner to that advisor's school. So, and they let other people in my life know. So they were also there. So it was the previous advisor of the year. Um, my Justin's representative, um, Jeff Moffitt and Sarah Sosker were there. Um, and then my mom walked in too. <laughs> when, as soon as I saw my mom, I, I completely fell apart. So it was overwhelming and it was neat the way they did it. it they walked into my last class of the day. So I was with my students and so, um, that was really incredible, um, because in the end, you know, I'm, I'm the advisor, but I'm not the one doing the work. It's the kids and, um, anything that, you know, awards, whatnot that I might've achieved over the years, it's really as a result of all this incredible work these kids are doing. 
Um, so, so it was really just exciting and fun and, um, yeah, overwhelming, I guess, um, to have all those people in the room at the same time. Now, again, for Johnston schools listening, check out the J class videos, find the ones on design that Brenda did. And Brenda, the, uh, at the very beginning, you sort of introduce yourself in these videos. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I noticed is I know that you've been doing this for a long time, but there's pictures with you and your students. You got a big smile on your face. You're kind of mugging for the camera. Clearly, and especially after the last three and a half years we've all had to deal with, this is still fun for you. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I admit the last three years have been really hard, and I don't think you'll meet a yearbook advisor who says they haven't been. Um, it's just, it's been a lot for sure. Trying to figure out how to make this happen virtually, um, particularly at the end of 2020, but even more so the 2020-21 school year when things were very much in flux and depending on where you were in the country, you know, some kids were in person, some kids weren't in person, there were activities getting canceled all the time. And, you know, if you've been advising for a while, you know, the most important thing you have to do is really plan out the year. And in many cases, you plan out the latter at summer camp or within the first weeks of school and to have all those things changing you know, at the drop of a hat, and then you just had to kind of pivot and find another way to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, that was really hard. And then kids have lost a lot of institutional memory. Um, I, for my program, at least, um, and I know it's true for a lot of people, you know, we really try to make it a student run publication. And so kids are learning from each other as time goes on. And so when you have this gap of kids that really didn't learn from the previous editors or previous staff members, and then you're having to go back and, and reteach all these things. Um, and a lot of sort of the cultural, the community understandings, those things are not what they were. And so I think it's it's just been a really, really exhausting three years for, for yearbook advisors, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting is I've been able to do this fun little feature uh, and had a chance to talk to people from, well, everywhere, uh, Missouri, <laughs> Arkansas, Texas, California, uh, some other places. And I've asked them, and I'll ask you, you know, these last three years here in Pennsylvania, we don't have enough teachers. We don't have bus drivers. We don't have enough lunch ladies. We don't, and you're nodding your head. We're doing this on Zoom. You're nodding your head. The same thing's happening in Illinois, apparently. Mm -hmm. tell, tell us about that. I mean, what, what are some of the thing, stuff that five years ago, we would have never dealt with this, but now we are. What, what's happening in Illinois? Um, I mean, I just think a big part of it is just the exhaustion of the past few years. Um, you know, that takes a toll on you mentally, physically. And I think at a certain point, um, you know, people ask themselves, is this something that I can continue to do? Um, I think it's been especially hard too, because everybody wants us to get back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is, right? And I think in a lot of cases, teachers have sort of felt like I'm being expected to just very quickly kind of flip a switch and all of a sudden everything is normal. But the kids in my room, all of us, but particularly the kids in our rooms, right, they've, they've been pro affected profoundly by this gap in their learning um, or the gap in their sort of educational 
you name it, like they're all the things that that make you a good student. Um, and so and within the scope, the span of their lives, it's a very significant chunk of time, you know, three years, I have a daughter who's 13, three years, I mean, that's a big, big chunk of her life compared to, to mine, you know, I'm 50. So, um, you know, I think that's been hard for teachers is just sort of like, you know, it's not been a sort of slow on ramp to kind of getting back to quote unquote normal. It's been an expectation to sort of like immediately get everything back to the way things were. And our kids are not there quite yet. And so um, I think that's been draining for teachers is to like want there to be some understanding of that. Like, look, I, I want these kids to be, you know, up to speed. I want them to be exactly back to where they were and at grade level and everything, but it's going to take some time, you know? And so there are a lot of pressures, right, on, on teachers, on administrators. Um, parents obviously have concerns about making sure their kids are where they need to be. And, and so all those competing forces, I think, um, sometimes put a, undue pressure on teachers. And so at a certain point, I think a lot of them just figure, I don't need this kind of stress. <laughs> you know, um, I, I can do something else that maybe would not be as rewarding, perhaps, but certainly would be less stressful. And after these past three years, maybe that's what I need. If you figure out normal, would you drop me a line? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think normal yeah. normal left town. I don't, I don't know where normal is someplace. Right. Let's yeah. tangent a little bit. Yep. What what I call your booking, you know, all the different facets. From the last three years, in your opinion, you're obviously a veteran your book advisor. Has your booking changed at all during that time? Or is it just pretty much the same as it's always been? I, yeah, it, okay. So what's not different is the expectation that these things be completed within a certain amount of time in terms of, you know, the book being published or, um, you know, kind of, I think everybody has an expectation that the end product will be similar to what we've always had, or that it will be, you know, distributed at the same time type of thing. Um, but what has changed is, is I think kids right now, at least in my experience, um, kids, and I think I've, I've, from talking to yearbook advisors at workshops too, I think a lot of them are experiencing similar things. Um, in part, I think because of what all, a lot of us or what these kids experienced over um, the past three years, they're, um, they're not all kind of as capable of handling as many things maybe um they're also maybe not as ready to always meet a deadline um i think you know in the beginning of what we were dealing with with covid a lot of schools kind of said you know we don't just let the kids get things done when they get them done or everybody gets an a or whatever and as much as that was well-meaning and under, like we all understand why that those decisions were made given this, the situation we were in, unfortunately for a lot of kids that's translated into some bad habits um, and maybe not necessarily developing the executive functioning skills that we need them to have in order to be successful in meeting deadlines. Um, so that's one piece of it. I think another piece that I've observed, and I don't know if this is because of the past three years or if this is just um, you know, the way kids engage with each other socially, um, I've been finding, and I know some of my colleagues have been finding and talking with them that kids just aren't 
not all kids, of course, but, but a lot of kids aren't as willing to step out of their comfort zones. Um, they're, uh, they're less willing maybe to engage with people that they don't know. They, um, they're very, they're more self-conscious and I, and I don't know, I've been like, I have no idea why, but, um, I, I wonder whether some of that is because they spent over a year, many of them, um, staring at each other on zoom screens and, um, and, or they're on social media all the time and they take 20 videos or take 20 photos before they find the one picture that they feel like is slightly okay. Instead of, you know, just being like, you know, reality isn't perfect and I'm okay with that. You know, um, I think there was a little bit prior to all of this, um, and even just prior to social media getting to be having such a foothold on kids. Um, they weren't quite as, I mean, kids and teenagers are always, you know, a little bit self-conscious and um, all of that, but it, it just seems like it's gotten worse and it's made it harder, I think, for kids to kind of do the work that needs to be done to get a yearbook done and to be as, to make that yearbook as inclusive as possible. I think that's the other problem is it's like, you know, we want these books to include everybody, but that means having to talk to people I don't know. And, um, you know, if you're only willing to talk to your friends because you're so nervous all the time, then we're not going to be able to accomplish that. So I've just noticed bits and pieces of that throughout. And I, and I feel like that's a trend. I've not a trend, but that's kind of a common thread um, in conversations that I've had with colleagues as well. That is a very interesting answer. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and the challenge of course, continues for all of us. We'll get back to more with outstanding advisor Brenda Field from Illinois coming up in a moment. We'll get into the nuts and bolts, if you will, of good page design. Brenda's going to show you, tell you how you can make great page layouts. Anybody can do this if you take the time to put it together, follow the basics. So get ready, take notes. That's coming up here in just a bit. Now, Brenda kind of touches on this. There's a question I've been asking yearbook staffs uh, for over 20 years, and that is, what are the keys to a good yearbook? And I'll get an answer back. Well, the cover. Well, yeah, the cover's important, but that's not it. Like, really? Nope. Photos. Well, yeah, of course, they're crucial for a good yearbook, but no, that one's not it. Like, really? And I'll get a bunch of other answers. Very rarely do I get the answer I'm looking for, which is simply organization and planning. We're talking about the yearbook effort now. And unfortunately, there are a lot of yearbook advisors, yearbook staffs out there, not well organized, not well planned. And so here at the beginning of another school year, as you start another yearbooking effort, this is something that needs to be ha happening right from the get-go. Now, hopefully you've done it. If not, this is your month of September project. Really is. Month not a day, not a week, a month. Organization and planning. Organization, who do you have? Who's doing what? Who are your student editors? And please, advisors, student editors, you need those. You have enough on your own plate with all the other things you do. Put a lot more leadership on your student editor's shoulders to eventually get this job done. Who's assigned to what? Who's going to cover the football game Friday night? Who's going to do this? Organization and planning. All right, what's this book going to look like? What's the theme going to be? How are we going to work it inside the book? How does it tie in with the cover? What's our cover going to look like? It's a lot of uh, grunt work, I suppose, and maybe not all that glamorous, but that grunt work, well done, 
after the whole month of September, really, will set your table for the rest of the school year. Yeah, you'll tweak this and change that. That's inevitable. But for those folks that never take the time to organize and plan, it's like a ship at sea without sails and a rudder. You're just kind of buffeted back and forth and you're threatened to drown and all that other stuff. Nobody wants that situation. Organize and plan. Now, if you're looking for stuff to help you get there, two things. Number one, you've got the digital classroom for Jostin schools on your Yearbook Avenue website. Absolutely check all of the organization and planning materials in there. They will help you immensely. And number two, make sure that your Jossens representative is an active part of your team. In a lot of cases, they aren't. They're almost an afterthought. And yet that's part of their training is to help you lead your staff to be better organized, better planned, so that you have a better effort with a lot more fun so that when the end of the year comes, you're not burned out, worn out. You're actually, hey, this was kind of fun. Let's do this again. And you do the next yearbook. Use your Jossens representative. Make them an active part of your team. If you get organization and planning down, folks, I can guarantee you're going to have a great yearbook, a great effort, a lot of fun, better educated kids. Everybody wins. Take this next few weeks, depending again when you're listening, the month of September. Nail the organization and planning. Write it down. Make sure everybody sees it. What's the old line? Plan the work, then work the plan. That's the key. Now, how about some keys to good page designing? Let's get back to our friend Brenda Field. All right, let's move on to our main topic, good page designing. Now, again, Brenda, you and I have been at this a long time. I swear, if I had $5 for every kid or person that I've seen, they just sit down and just sort of throw things on a page. Splat, splat, splat. I could retire. All right, I'll, you know, bye, Brenda. I'm retiring. See you later. I mean, I'm not sure. I guess my opening question is, why is, of all the different facets of your booking, taking pictures, doing some writing, um, maybe doing something with promotions, you know, your books and ads and stuff, why is page design, I think, by far the most difficult part of doing a yearbook? Why is this so hard to do? I think I think there are a couple reasons for it. I think that when people think of design, they tend to think of it as synonymous with decorating, like I'm going to design my room, I'm going to decorate my room, or just it seems like those two words are seen as one and the same. Um, and then I think the secondary reason is that they don't consider that design, well, A, is not decorating, and B, is always, should be always accomplished in the service of the reader. That, you know, you need to think through what does my reader need in order to understand this information and design accordingly instead of like, I'm just going to take all these things and make them quote, look pretty. Um, I, I think that's kind of where we get stuck is not remembering the reader. Um, I think those would be the two biggest things. And then the third thing would be, I think they don't um, with, they don't understand those first two. And so then because of that, they don't look necessarily to professionals to kind of take inspiration and sort of try to understand how somebody who really understands how to go about designing does it. Instead, they just kind of go back to looking at things that don't necessarily represent good design and replicate that. 
No, it's interesting. Um, I hate decorating. <laughs> <laughs> I despise decorating. I'm terrible at decorating. At my house, my wife is the decorator. Our house at Christmas is beautiful. I do nothing, okay, except get the boxes out of the attic. That's my job. <laughs> I to bring the boxes down. Design and decorating. That's an interesting kind of a juxtaposition there. That's that's cool. You mentioned something a few minutes ago that another thing that I hit sometimes with too many people is if they want to do design, like they want to do it on their own, they're like, oh, I don't know. Not only I don't know how to do it, but I don't have any guidance. And you kind of mentioned something a few minutes ago. Literally, there are design ideas, I think, all around us if we take the time to look at them. Now, did I hear that right? And what, what were you talking about there? Well, I mean, there are the ab most obvious places would be to look at professional publications, you know, to look at magazines, you know, digital magazines, mostly now you can easily go online through your school's public library, through your school's library or your local public library and get access to digital versions of magazines that are um, recent. So, you know, I love to look at there's certainly men's health always does a really great job, which is not something I would necessarily read on my own, but I mean, I definitely look at it for design. Um, fast company. I mean, there's great design everywhere. So I think looking at those professional publications is a good idea. Um, but I also, you know, I just, I take a lot of pictures. Um, you know, sometimes even if I'm in a store and I see a display, I'll, I'll take some pictures of different things, um, billboards, um, you know, you name it. Like it, there's great, design all around us and and once you start to sort of look at the world that way you see it everywhere and so then you just kind of collect ideas and try to study why it works <laughs> yeah and actually you mentioned one i was gonna say i was gonna say brenda am i crazy i've actually mentioned billboards mm -hmm. some folks uh you know highway you're driving down the highway and there's billboards there that it obviously not the whole billboard but certain design elements that you might see on a billboard like uh, hey, that looks like a headline. Uh, type mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. Hey, look at this graphic thing. Yeah, you, you've—that's you, a good idea. Yes, you, you will like that one. I do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've seen some really poorly designed billboards, but you know, um, the vast majority of them. I mean, it's a—they've hired a graphic designer to design it. So why not take a look at what they're doing and try to understand why it works for you? Um, and I and I think sometimes maybe it just seems. Getting back to your original point um, question about, you know, why is design so hard? I think people get intimidated by it. I think, um, and you know, I don't know if it's. I know some of my students, for example, when you we use Monarch, and so you open up Monarch and you look at InDesign, for example. I mean, there are so many tools there, and you get immediately intimidated. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I think the same thing is probably true when you look at, you know, Layout Pro. I think that's part of it, but I think also part of it is just that, like, it just seems like this mystical thing that people do. Um, when really, if you just kind of think about it as like, what does the reader want? What do I want the reader to understand first, second, third, fourth? I mean, I think that like ultimately will, as a beginning point at least, will will take you in the right direction. All right. Now, folks, if you're listening here, uh, maybe you're driving as you're listening here, find the billboards, check out the billboards on your drive, find the ones that are designed 
and find the ones that are decorated. <laughs> because Brenda, I, I agree with you. Every now and then I'll see a billboard. I'm like, that's ugly. That's ugh. seriously, who, who paid somebody to do that one? All right, well, let's talk about design here. And again, this is, uh, we're going to talk about templates in a little bit. But primarily for those folks out there, they want to do their own thing. And that seems to be most people. I want to do my own thing. Okay, great. What are some basic things to include or to keep in mind of if you're going to make a good yearbook page design? Because there are definite elements, Brenda. What are what are some of those? Well, I think you need to understand the basic principles of design, which have to do with the order in which you want the reader to understand something. So basic things, there needs to be dominance. There needs to be something that's bigger than other things. And usually it's going to be a photo because that's sort of like your, it, it, it's your focal point. It's your reader, your main reader entry point. There needs to be something that says, look at me first. Right. So there's that visual element. And then after that, um, everything else should you know, be significantly smaller, um, or at least smaller, at, at least two to three times smaller, I would say, um, just to kind of suggest this is the first thing I look at. Um, and then along with that, and, and kind of in concert, really, with this idea that, you know, certain things are going to be smaller is the idea of like, there needs to be some some contrast that I'm introducing. So I've got this big image, probably that that draws my eye, and probably with a corresponding nice big large headline. And then I'm going to create some contrast with things that are different sizes and different shapes. And when I say shapes, I don't mean like circles and triangles and octagons and things like that necessarily, especially when we're not when we're talking about photos. I'm thinking I've got a vertical dominant. So now I'm going to introduce some smaller horizontal secondary photos that's going to create contrast and it's also going to establish the dominance of the main image. So I think those two like dominance and contrast maybe starting with that like understanding that those things are necessary to helping the reader kind of navigate the page visually um, are, are really important. I've been at this a long time and I've noticed oh my I've lost count uh, if kids are left to their own devices, if the advisor says, all right, just make a page, all right, just make a spread, go ahead. And they put their things down, that word dominance. I've noticed most kids, when they're left to their own devices, when they put elements on the page, they're all the same size. They're right. all the same. All right. You agree. They're all the same. I don't know if this is a human thing. I don't know if these kids think, well, this is fair. We're going to make everybody the same size or every element the same size. What you're saying, Brenda, is, I mean, why? Why Why is it important not to do it that way? Because, again, getting back to the first point about, you know, the, the reader and helping the reader navigate the spread, if everything is exactly the same size, you're not cueing to the reader what I'm supposed to look at first. Um, we don't necessarily, it's not that we have a conscious thought when we look at a, a layout or, you know, whether it's in a yearbook or a magazine and think, oh gosh, that's really busy. Um, but I think we've all had experiences where we look at something and we think, oh my gosh, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot. And I don't know where to start. I, you know, it's just, I want to turn the page because it's too much to look at. I think many of us have had that experience. Um, and it's probably because everything, like everything was sort of speaking at the same volume. 
um, I guess maybe that's a way to put it, right? Like there needs to be some dominance. So it's there's something that's the volume is a little bit louder. I'm going to look at that first and then I'm going to engage with the rest of it. Um, it's, it's just a cue to the reader um, to take these things in in this order. And if it's done well um, or if it's done, then it'll be an easier page to look at. And this again is where I think it's helpful for, for students to look at professional inspiration you know, you can even just pull a bunch of things and say like, you know, help me understand what the dominant element is on this. You know, if you can help them just kind of understand it and unpack it, then they can sort of then translate it into their own designs. All right. Um, writing. Now, writing is something I've noticed over a lot of years that most yearbook staff just don't write. They just don't. And I don't know if it's laziness. I've had a bunch of kids over the years tell me, well, nobody reads that writing. And they tell that to my face. I'm like, no, mm -hmm. <laughs> they really, really do. So my, my question is the importance of writing, but also maybe if we're designing, where should writing go? I've always thought writing should only go maybe in certain places and so on. So what about writing? Well, first of all, I mean, I think the purpose of a yearbook isn't just for now. It's for 10 years from now, 25, 50 years from now. And pictures do tell an important part of the story, but they don't tell as much of the story as, or they don't, writing can amplify or detail or otherwise help you understand the story further. So writing adds to that value over time. Um, there's only so much a photo can do. And one of the biggest pieces for in terms of writing right is is absolutely we should always have captions um we should always know who people are um and especially over time i know i'm sure both of us can attest to the fact that we can't remember everybody we went to high school with you know and so if you open up a yearbook you want to be able to identify people um but then also what we see in a particular photo isn't necessarily the full story so having the benefit of words to accompany those photos to tell a more complete story just adds to the value of the publication. And I think the idea that people don't read what we're writing is, I mean, it, it's just a, it's just a cop out, I would say. Um, if you're doing a good job of reporting and you're asking the right questions and including information that isn't just obvious from the photo, then absolutely people are going to read it because it's adding value to what they're looking at. So I guess that's how I would answer the first question. The second one, as far as where it goes, and this kind of gets back to what we were talking about a little bit when kids sit down and look at a page. Um, one important principle or one important thing with design is just to remember where you should start with your layouts. Um, I think a lot of kids, when they sit down in front of a screen, there's a tendency to sort of place elements according to the way we read. So they start in the top left corner and they work from left to right. And then, you know, place everything along kind of that sort of reading line, as it were. But really when you're designing, you wanna start in the center of the layout and work out. So your heaviest elements, in most cases, visually heavy is what I mean, um, would be your photos. So you would have your photos toward the center and then your words would be around the outside of those photos. And then to the outside of that, you would have some white space for breathing room. Yeah, simple rule that I've always <laughs> learned, writing primarily to the outside. 
somewhere yep. to the outside of the design. We're in the middle, you mentioned, you know, the middle of the page, the gutter and so on, more graphics or photos and so on. So simple rule, folks, just kind of keep your writing more to the outside. And for any students who may be listening here, Brenda is right. You will forget stuff. Trust me. Trust us on this one. All right. Many moons for me. 270 kids in my class. I married one. Mm -hmm. uh, my friends and best friends and everybody else is out there in the ether somewhere. Um, I could see their name pop on, up in front of me right now. And I'm like, who's that? Oh, I went to school with them. That's embarrassing. It's going to mm -hmm. happen to you. So get ready. There we go. Now, Brenda, what about templates? Now, first off, uh, I think maybe a lot of folks maybe don't even understand what the word template means, but I've seen plenty of yearbooks where every time I turn the page, totally different, totally different, totally different, totally different. What, first off, let's just do a basic definition of a template and why maybe that's a good idea to use in different sections of a book. Yeah, so a template is one layout that's used throughout a book or it's repeated. Um, it's basically used to kind of, to not only help unify everything, but also to make the production process easier, especially if you have a lot of students that maybe you only have one designer on your staff who's really, really good. And so they design all of the templates and then the other students come in and plug in their information. So I, I have nothing against templates. Um, my students are not necessarily using templates for whole layouts anymore, um, but I have a bigger team of designers and a bigger staff. But when I only had, when I started at Glenbrook South, I had nine kids on my staff and it, we were just doing everything we could to get the book done and kids were having to do a lot more than the students that I have on staff now, just given the numbers. And so we absolutely had to use templates. So, you know, I had a couple designers who would design all of them and then we would, um, we would switch them up. So we would take a basic template and we would flip it um, left to right or top to bottom, or we had, you know, one with a, a vertical dominant and one with a horizontal dom dominant. And we would go in and, and, you know, try to keep track of not using the same exact one over and over again. Um, so I'm not, I'm not against templates. I think where we sometimes run into trouble with them is that we don't think about the content before we think about the way we're using the design. Um, so what I mean by that is, if I've got a really great dominant photo that I want to use, and it just so happens to be facing to the left, um, you know, good design would tell you that that dominant, that that copy, the story, if we're, you know, incorporating a story, that that should also be to the, like, my wherever my, the people in my dominant are looking should be where my story is, because it helps guide the reader into that content. Um, but sometimes, kids will say, oh, well, you know, the copy design is showing up on the right-hand side. So I'm going to go with that. So now all of a sudden we've created like a problem for the reader in that, or at least we're not making the design as cohesive and interesting as it could be by, um, you know, placing the copy to the right, just because the template said so. Um, we should be switching up our template to accommodate the content. All right. Now here's a side question. And I think people have actually argued about this. Should it be Content first, design second, or design first, content second? Is one of those right or doesn't it matter? I think in a perfect world, it would be content first, design second. Um, in a perfect world. But we're 
not operating in a perfect world. Um, we're dealing with deadlines having to, you know, and, and so if you, if trying to create everything from scratch every time based on the content is going to slow down production tremendously and prevent you from meeting your deadlines, then that's not the way to go. So that being said, I think magazines, you know, professional magazines, I think still have some basic guidelines that you're following. So even if it's designed from scratch, you're still, you know, using, you know, certain grids, you're still following certain guidelines. So I guess it's a bit of both, but I think ultimately for us in the yearbook world, we're on a very, very limited time frame. Um, and so I think you just have to do what works best for you, but understand that there is flex. If you go the template route, still make them flexible enough to accomplish consideration of the content. Yeah, I was going to ask, where exactly is that perfect world? Is that like a, <laughs> yeah, Saturn somewhere? Or? Right. No, I know. And every year is different, right? Like that's the other thing is you have to consider the kids that you have and what they can do. So, you know, you might have a year where you have a couple kids that are really, really quick and have a really good understanding of design. And so you might be able to do something differently one year, whereas the next year you might have a whole bunch of newbies and they don't know anything. And so while you want to train them, you also need to make progress. So maybe you do something that's a little bit more limited in terms of, you know, designing from scratch. We'll get back to our final segment with our friend Brenda Field, outstanding yearbook advisor from suburban Chicago, Illinois, coming up in just a bit. Among the questions we're going to touch at the end, some good advice for new advisors, especially during still challenging times. And also with that, the importance of actually teaching yearbook, which most yearbook advisors, frankly, do not do. It's just go to work. Teaching your kids like you would do with any other class is crucial to your absolute success this school year. So we'll hear from Bernd on that in just a little bit. All right, now for old guys like me, you know, we're a little stubborn, maybe a little slow. You're like, really? You know, uh, change? Uh, I'm not interested. But there's no doubt, I mean, the youngsters will tell you, we live in a social media world. We just do. All those social media outlets, and it seems to be a growing number seemingly everywhere, and literally they're worldwide all right. Yeah, they may not have active Facebook in China, but they have other ones in China. Social media is hugely important. And yet, my observation is most yearbook staffs do absolutely nothing with social media. That is a tremendous oversight. Now, I understand why there's work involved. And maybe you think, well, I'm not all that creative and I don't have the time and I don't, you know, I'm not designy. I can't really come up with cool stuff. I understand all those things. And we have an answer. If you're at Jostens School, we've got a very simple answer. And it's our Jostens Social Engine. Jostens Social, we've actually had for a couple of years now. The one big difference this year, it's free. Now, to be frank, the charge before wasn't very much. But it is now free and wide open to any yearbook staff out there from elementary up to college. The Jostin Social Engine is something you have got to see. You can make an entire month's worth of posts or more for whatever outlets you choose. You can literally do it in one sitting. Boom. 
and one sitting might be not even an hour. And you could set up an entire month full of engaging posts, either on your own yearbook outlets, your own you know, Facebook page or Instagram page and so on, or maybe your school's official outlets. You can kind of do the hookup. And then you can do some posting there using ready-made materials that's right on the Justin social site, easy to choose, easy to use and manipulate, or of course, come up with your own stuff. All right, we've got some very creative uh, connections in there inside Justin Social that you can easily make some really cool stuff that people are going to notice and pay attention to on your social media channels. It's simple to do. Now, advisors, here's a thought. Again, you're busy. Goodness, you're, you're very busy. Get a kid to do this. Seriously, get a kid. Kids love this stuff. Get a student that you trust that's kind of a little social media savvy or just loves doing it. Maybe two, have a small team and let them do it with your guidance. And all of a sudden now, it's not just, well, when's the yearbook coming out? We have to wait till when? Now it's, hey, I heard from the yearbook staff again. Hey, they took my picture. Hey, they were at the football game taking shots. Hey, they're covering this thing event. All that sort of stuff you can do through social media, make connections with your audience literally all year long instead of making them kind of sit and wait until your book finally comes out. It's a social media world, folks. And through Justin Social for Justin Schools, you now have an unbelievable tool that you can do this so easily and look so good. People will say, wow, you must work really hard on that. And you'll kind of wink like, yeah, about a half an hour. All right, literally, it can do that. Talk to your Justin's representative about Justin's social, how to get signed up, how to get started. Look for material on your Yearbook Avenue website to uh, kind of guide you on the way. And then watch out. Have some fun using social media this year. Okay, let's get back to our final segment with top advisor Brenda Field. Now, that's an interesting segue into my next question about education. Sort of something you just kind of touched on there. I've always found this fascinating because I've been working with teachers for well over 20 years, and a lot of them have said, you know, a certain class comes through, oh, these kids are just awesome. They're crackerjack. They're really good. And then the class that follows them is, oh, my gosh, where did these kids come from? I've never quite understood that. Mm -hmm. You would think kids are kids are kids, but apparently as classes come through, somehow they're different. You're nodding your head. I, I don't understand that. How, why is that? Do you have any idea? Maybe it's because they've spent so much time together that they pick up on each other's good or bad habits, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, certainly there are outliers in any group, right? But that's true. I mean, there will be a class that comes through and people will say, oh, the kids in this class are really fantastic. And and I, I mean, that's all I can figure is that they, you know, spent so much time with each other in elementary school or middle school. And if the kids around you are working really hard and kind of staying on top of it, then you're going to do that too. And if they're not, then maybe you'll go in the other direction. That's all I can figure. Yeah. It's really weird, but education. Now I know yeah. you do. I mean, obviously mm -hmm. you do a fantastic job educating your yearbook kids on all the basics. And yet, frankly, there are a lot of yearbook advisors out there, Brenda, I'm sure you know this. It's pretty much, okay, guys, just get to work, just do stuff, you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. No real education of the kids on, you know, why this is important and writing captions and taking good photos and good page design. Can briefly, for any advisors listening, why is it important, Brenda, to teach yearbook 
class club, no matter what, teach the kids yearbook so that they do a better job? Well, yearbook is an, an all publications um, or an, op, an awesome opportunity for kids to not only do something together and, you know, create this tangible product, but it's an incredible learning opportunity. And, and if our goal is simply to get a book out at the end of the year, not, that is a completely laudable goal. But it's also, if you're not kind of teaching some of those other things, it's a lost opportunity, I think, um, because in very few places in, in our schools, are kids writing for a real audience? Are they dealing with, you know, a real consumer, a buyer um, in the case of your books? It, it's just a very real world thing that they're doing. And so I think when you aren't necessarily giving them an opportunity to make that an academic opportunity as well, then I think something's lost. So but I, I do think it can be overwhelming for new advisors. You know, it, it, the first time you advise, you're very much in the in the space of, I just need to get this thing done. Um, so I think in, in those cases, then just, you know, set a goal. This year, we're going to work on adding captions, you know, and I'm going to teach them how to write really good captions. And then the next, then those kids know how to write really good captions and you make sure that those kids then become mentors the following year. If they're, you know, still in your book, they can continue to teach other people how to write good captions. And then you move on to the next thing. You know, you kind of make another goal. Okay, now we know how to write captions. Now we're going to work on taking more candid photos instead of just posed ones. And so you kind of keep building um, those skills each year instead of trying to kind of feel like an obligation to, to get better at everything at once. And over time, it really will change what the program and what the publication looks like. All right. And that kind of moves into my last question for you today, which now maybe you do this because you're a veteran, obviously, in Illinois. And there are, I mean, so first off, there are so many new teachers out there, but I'm thinking especially about new yearbook advisors out there, first year, maybe second year. Uh, a question, whenever I have a chance to talk to a veteran advisor like you, if you could sit down with brand new advisors, first year, second year, and just give them some advice, either for yearbook or maybe just for right now, which we sort of touched on earlier. But what is some advice that you would give to brand new yearbook advisors to, I don't know, encourage them, keep them going, work at this? What, what would you tell them? Um, I think one of the biggest things I would tell them is find some, find your people, find some people, um, connect with some other yearbook advisors, whether it's, you know, you've met some people at a Justin's workshop over the summer, or you make a point of going to your local press association workshop, or you um, hopefully, you know, can get yourself to a JEA and SPA convention. You've got to find and connect with some people who are doing the same thing. Um, and I, the reason why I think that's vital is that we're usually the only advisor in our school. There might be a newspaper advisor that we can talk to, but advising a yearbook and advising a newspaper are similar in some respects, but very different in others. And so you need a colleague or two that you can bounce ideas off with, commiserate with, just kind of keep you full when you um, are feeling empty or to kind of fill you up when you're feeling empty. That's critical. Um, and then certainly 
it's also critical to kind of learn from people too. And that's, that's something that happens at workshops and at conventions and conferences as well. So I would say that's the first thing. Um, and if you can't get out of your building, there are ways to connect with people online too. So, you know, if they do jo join JEA, the Journalism Education Association, um, they can connect with a mentor that way. They can join the JEA listserv where there's conversation going on all the time about advising. Um, there are also, you know, opportunities via Jostens. You can connect. There's a there are a couple different Facebook groups that people can join. Um, just making sure you have some way to connect with people so you don't feel so alone. It can often feel like you're, you know, on the on this island in your building and nobody gets it, and that that can be very very draining. Um, so making sure you do that, I think, is number one. Um, number two, I guess, would just be not, you know, holding yourself to an impossible standard, um, particularly your first few years in, you know, just that idea that I mentioned before of like, just make, you know, come up with a couple goals that you have for yourself and your publication the first year, the first few years, and then just keep adding to that instead of thinking to myself, like, I've learned that I need to do X, Y, Z, like all these things. You can't possibly do it all your first year. Um, you can't do it all your second year. You just kind of have to build on it. Um, and honestly, I think that's part of what makes your book advising exciting too, is that it's different every year and you can keep the, the, the landscape that the, what you're dealing with keeps changing. And so it keeps you inspired, I think, um, to make things to improve. And I think in other avenues of teaching and other kind of subjects, sometimes you can end up feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's never like that in your book. So um, remembering then that, you know, there's always next year and we can do something better and add to it is I think something that keeps you, um, motivated. Brenda, that's some great advice. Um, let me toss in one more folks. Uh, let your Jocelyn's representative be an active part of your team. Uh, from doing this for so many years, uh, there've been too many times, Brenda, where I'm visiting a school and I just feel like I'm taking up space in the room and I want to do a lot more, you know, to this and help with that and so on. For advisors listening, especially new advisors, let your representative be an active part of your team because they should be. We've got the experience and so on. Let us be part of your team. Makes your job a whole lot easier. Brenda, I've really enjoyed our conversation. This was just nuggets of wisdom up and down. And I appreciate your time and I hope you have a good school year. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Scott. A big, big thank you again to our friend Brenda Field, again, former National Yearbook Advisor of the Year several years ago from suburban Chicago, Illinois. We're so glad we were able to catch up with her before the school year insanity started. So we got her at the right moment, and boy, did she share some great advice, just not only yearbook-wise, but maybe teaching-wise, maybe yearbook advisor-wise, and so on. We are still in challenging times. All right, I don't think anybody has blinders on. We've got tough times again this year in schools, literally all over America, maybe all over the world, depending on when you're listening or where you're listening to this from. How can we get past those challenges and still do a fantastic job with our yearbook? Well, take Brenda's advice, and I think you're definitely headed in the right direction. And we appreciate you listening. Thank you again for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.